0: Welcome to Harp Song, presented by Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions, bringing people together through collaboration, creativity, and community all through the arts. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm your host, Maureen Buscarino, and I hope to inspire you and to help you discover amazing music and artists from around the world. Was a scientist and a genius, and I don't use that term lightly. He always said that when it comes to truly intelligent people, the more they learn, the more they realize how much they don't know. It takes curiosity, humility, and a sense of awe to realize there is so much more to learn. When I think of Anne Heyman, All of these ideals come to mind. Even after her 50-plus year career, she is still finding new and exciting avenues of discovery and even rediscovering works that she previously recorded. While she was training horses, a friend gave her a copy of the Bunting Manuscripts. And she became enamored with how Bunting describes the harp tradition as he witnessed it in the 18th century. She also studied dressage in horses and had a great respect for tradition and understood there were reasons for doing things a certain way that we might not be able to speculate on. And so she thought, okay, they played on the left shoulder. I'll do it that way as well. Anne is extremely generous with her research and music. She's a firm believer that the center of research for early Irish harp needed to be in Ireland. So she inspired Siobhan Armstrong to start the Historical Harp Society of Ireland. This interview is being split into two parts. There's just so much extraordinary information being shared that I want to make sure that you get to hear it all um, and become inspired. In editing this podcast, I have listened to it many times, and each time I glean something new. Check out the podcast notes for quotes from Anne and links to some of her books, albums, people, and places mentioned. A big thank you to the folks at Temple Records in Scotland for giving me permission to use some of Anne's recordings on this podcast. Check out their website, templerecords.co.uk. You're listening to Lament for the Harp off of Anne's album, Queen of Harps. Robin Morton at Temple Records gave me permission to share a couple of Anne's recordings with you. So please do check out their catalog. Anne also shared with me some notes from fans of this album. She said a Chicago woman chose it to be her music when she was in labor. A woman in hospice chose this music to comfort herself. A writer and a painter loved to work while having this music on. She was also contacted by a man in Northern Ireland who used this music for three months prior to the Easter Peace Agreement to meditate for peace. Well, without further ado, I let me introduce you to the wonderful Anne Hayman. And thank you so much for being here with me today and first of all i want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to to chat with me on harp song and to congratulate you on your awards your lifetime achievement awards that you're receiving this year the lifetime achievement award from the historical harp society of ireland and from the somerset folk harp festival so congratulations on that and thank you again for being here
1: well it's my pleasure and uh... I wonder if if the timing here isn't because in May, I have my 70th birthday. Oh, happy birthday. And I have to tell you, for all of you people who are afraid of getting old, it's wonderful. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm to a point where I didn't put on makeup. I couldn't put earrings on because the holes weren't accepting them. That's my usual way of dressing up. But... Musically, it's coming full circle, and I have so much to do. It's like it, it's it's really exciting, and I think it's because I'm no longer under the having having to try to. It, it, both Charlie and I are musicians, and support ourselves doing really largely uncommercial music, and raising a couple of kids, and not and and now. Uh, I'm sort of, I guess, in semi-retirement, and it makes me really free mm. to do not to have not to have pressures and move along as as I wish. And it's also given me the ability, uh, I've had the opportunity to be teaching a lot of lessons on Skype, mm. and and, uh, only, and and I might mention more of that later. But I have learned so much in the past eight years in doing so. And and uh, I've learned to understand my own playing and the music so much more oh. because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was doing things and I would say, oh, do like this or do like what I thought I was doing. But teaching on Skype, you have to communicate and the student has to communicate with you instead of me saying no do it like this and and uh it it really is a a a great way of teaching so I feel as if all of a sudden I'm embarking on a whole new journey (laughs) that's wonderful (laughs) That, that includes my memories from you know I can I can be a child with with asking childish questions and and childish inspiration mm. and i draw on all the different aspects but also draw on on having a, a vision back in a way of thinking that isn't clogged up with with stuff
0: so um if you had words of wisdom for um for a, a new harpist or any of your students um what would you want them to take on their journey with the harp
1: well, I can't really speak for people who want to be professionals <laughs> um, because it's what I, we've eked out a living, but it's, it's a, a very personal journey for me. And so I'm, I'm no good for telling you how to make, you know, play weddings and, and gain students and what one should do. But for your own music satisfaction, I, 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 I have, I hope that what uh, we talk about today will will be inspiring.
0: Oh, I hope so. Yes. Yeah. So, um, if we could start with the harp revival, um, and you're regarded as an expert um, on the ancient Irish harp traditions, and you really, I mean, started the whole revival with your research and your discovery and and the music. Um, what fuels your passion um, for keeping that harp tradition alive?
1: Well, um, there have been other revivals previously, but they, uh, because of circumstances, uh, didn't pan out. I like to think of actually the Irish Harp Societies in Belfast and Dublin as really being the first revival. And I, unfortunately, I think that the... uh, uh, John Egan, the pedal harp maker in Dublin, he made wire-strung harps, but he changed their design and, and didn't quite understand the tradition. And it was, the, the tradition really had sort of already died out. And the harp schools were uh, uh, largely organized by Dr. James McDonnell, who was a physician, and he's credited with uh, his, his interest was in reviving drowning victims. And resuscitation, and I sort of think he was trying to resuscitate the harp in his great efforts. But so for when I came along, uh, I I remember when I first heard Irish music, and it was the music I'd been looking for. Hmm. And in the in the uh, late '60s, I heard recordings of traditional music, and it was music I'd been trying to imagine. The music I heard had the drums were too heavy, the bass line was too heavy, and I wondered, couldn't the melody have uh, have more rhythm in it? Hmm. And couldn't the melody itself express the harmony? And when I heard Irish music for the first time, it was and and I tried to imagine the music and couldn't. But when I heard Irish music the first time, it was like yeah, like that, hmm. like that. And I'd been brought up at keyboard when, uh, when I was, when I was young, first piano. And of course I'd play around making scary noises and light noises and, uh, <laughs> and took piano lessons. And when I was a, a young teen, uh, my parents started me on pipe organ lessons. So I had a, but I wasn't into it. It was a deal I'd made with my parents. Uh, <laughs> Let me take writing lessons. I'll, I'll cooperate with piano <laughs> yeah, organ lessons.
0: And <laughs> and you had an organ in your house as well that your your father built a room I, in.
1: Yeah, yes, he, he built a, a pipe room and had a a Wurlitzer, uh, We had you know what is it eighteen foot pipes, uh, wooden wow. and metal pipes, and all the things. And you know I could take my friends down there and blow on the pipes because it was my own thing and there there were old there were metal grates and the, the the shutters were inside of them and so uh i could pull out all of the organ stops and when my friends were down in the pipe room i'd <laughs> make all the pipes sound as loud as <laughs> i could
0: you can't do that with a harp yeah. at all <laughs> <laughs> so, Um. So the the revivals that you're 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 talking about were the 1792 Belfast Harp Festival. Is that the like when you're referring to the older revivals from before the 60s?
1: No, um, no, those those I mean those were attempts to I think sort of keep the ending tradition alive. So that wasn't a revival yet. What I call revivals like when the tradition is dead. So that's why I'm like the Belfast Harp Schools. They hadn't and, I think there's a reason why Bunting in his publications in uh, essentially 1796, 1809, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until 1840 that he actually put in uh, good information about the tradition itself, how things were played, uh, terminologies. He was trying to make sense of it because by that time, it w- he realized it was dead. It couldn't be resuscitated, and... He came from a time period where there wasn't this concept of early music. He came from a time period where the music to keep it alive, you could uh, you would change it uh, to modernize it to keep it keep it going. And that was really the intent. He was commissioned to notate the music to, uh, so that keyboard and arrange it for keyboard so that people would play, the tunes oh. and this was keeping the tradition alive in the broader sense of the music but not in the specific sense if you see what I'm saying sure right and and so uh so I came along and I heard Irish music I loved it and that was fine I you know I was into horses as as uh you you might know and and uh was very int- interested in horses and I had friends that got interested in Irish music and they gave me a tin whistle for Christmas. So I was honor bound to learn how to play it. So I taught myself by ear and early on they found, uh, they got a copy of Bunting's the compilation of the Bunting's three volumes and uh, gave it to me and I read about the harp hmm. And Bunting's description of the harp, and especially Ohamsey, was just fascinated me. And so, and I didn't, I made even less money training horses than I did playing music because I worked so many hours, but like per hour. Mm. It was ridiculous, but it was wonderful, wonderful work. But um, uh, my future husband, Charlie Heyman, heard of uh, Jay Witcher's first harps and he had friends in the, who had a music store mm. who got some of his and, and uh, let's see, I had a riding accident, a horse fell with me and I broke my ankle and I had a cast on one leg and a splint on the other mm. and so I got a little vacation and so I packed my bag and threw it out the upstairs window of where <laughs> I was living, went down the stairs on my bum, <laughs> took the Took the bag, got it in the car, drove myself to the airport and flew to Chicago where wow. Charlie was playing. And we stayed up all night until four in the morning hanging out at, with, with the Irish crowd after the bar closed and, and brought them home in time for them to go to work. And, and drove down to St. Louis from Chicago to the music store. And there were three harps there. Hmm. One... Castle of a Jay Witcher's Castle Outway, one sir Harp, and a Trinity Harp. And they were on a platform and and I'd had by this time several years to read on bunting. And this whole time I'd never tried to play Bunting on the piano, maybe because I thought I'd dislike it. <laughs> and and uh the 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 music, but I dreamed about the description of it and but I, I think I could recognize the romantic piano style in the writing and needed, needed the harp. And I tried to imagine what it sounded like. I had to play one. And so I'd grown nails, fingernails, and I walked up to behind the harp and I knew I wanted to play on the left shoulder. With my right index finger, I played one string. Hmm. And both Charlie and I listened to it and it faded out. And that's the harp I bought, that, the, that he bought for me. He had more money. Playing in Irish bars, then I did training horses. So we got to my my place in Minnesota, and it had several broken strings on it. And he played, you know, guitar and mandocello and turn and things like this. So Angelo, he had so he was helping me repair the strings, uh, you know, one hand and the other, and I got them on. And then he had to drive straightway to Chicago for his next gig, so he had to drive back. But there I was with a harp to, to, to tune it oh. and started to teach myself to play.
0: And, and your quote is saying um, about Jay Witcher, um, the Gaelic harp has been the focus of your life. And you never would have begun playing if it weren't for that harp.
1: Well, I didn't say it quite like that. I asked it as a question. I don't know mm. if I would have because I was trying to find someone to make one for me. Right. And you know how life is. You you try and try and try. And what if I'd gotten into the Olympics before <laughs> I fell a harp? Maybe things would be different. You know, I, sure. I don't know. Yeah. So a question. More than, than I wouldn't have. But right. he came along. And, yes, I'm very grateful for him making making these harps. And he made my first one, two, three, four harps. Oh, wow. Two castle ways and uh, a high-headed harp, and a downhill harp, but this is a hard one because he made it but wouldn't sign it.
0: Hmm.
1: And so (laughs) I I finished it, but I didn't tune it how he wanted me to tune it, but I'm very grateful for this instrument Hmm. sitting right here.
0: About that original harp, that the first harp that you picked up in St. Louis, uh, was it strung with metal strings or was it? Um, oh yes, it was. Yes. Okay. Uh,
1: J used spring temper, hard drawn strings. He didn't design harps with with Coley tuning, with the uh, the two unison uh, G strings mm. in the tenor range below middle C on the piano, and I needed to do that. And initially, I. Uh, he, He's, he's an engineer and, and uh, very gifted, so I didn't want to mess with his uh, tuning suggestions, and I, I didn't want to damage the instrument. Now I'm competent enough that I dare to mess with him. <laughs>
0: I, I do want to I, I find that that tuning the the um, the Nicoli is that am I saying that correctly tuning well, I not
1: mean, uh, n- n- Nicoli, Nicoli but the holy tuning because hmm. we're speaking English
0: it's the strings that are laying laying together so it's the two G's or is it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be but that's at the center of the harp is that
1: it's it's roughly the center of the harp it became more of the center of the harp when the high very high-headed harps uh, which went down to triple base g and and i'll have to explain my method for explaining my tunings so you had triple base g then chronon g which is double base g and then and then just an uppercase single base g mm. and that is the top of the bass range in my opinion and the uh, the G, which is the unison, is the low end of the female range, and I use for letters. I use a lowercase G to designate between the treble and bass strings, and lying together, and and uh, the uh, lying together has a strong uh, conjugal significance. You know, we use the term married, or wedded, or joined but underneath that all is procreation, uh, the, the act of procreation. And they, they really sound in resonance. They give uh, the resonance to the harp, and I see them as being sort of like the godparent or the Adam and Eve strings hmm. of the harp, from which the entire, it's from them that that you tune, and it's a different schedule. So I think of it as tuncoli tune D and then up three and then down three. Okay. That would be what you see. And if you go Coley and then up four fifths, then, then you get to F sharp and then you go down only two. But um, a feature of this tuning in the system and the why you don't go down and up is that it's tuning the main portion of the harp where that exerts the most tension on the frame and then you tune by octaves going down descending into the bass and then finally octaves into the treble because if you change make a lot of changes here if you tune these prematurely you're going to be retuning them again anyhow right so this is sort of the the built-in system and of course they didn't always go through the process of if a string needs a little tweaking so be it but hmm. you know that would be the major tuning and i theorize that the tuning would have started actually would be flat being the first one that it would be. And, and that's a, a different system that I won't go through now. And that's a theory. I love theorizing. Oh. Um, I also believe that we didn't have back, back when in medieval times, there weren't tuning forks. Right. And we know that music was a measurement in ancient times. And yet there's a practicality to things and it's an oral tradition. And I've come to <laughs> believe, if, if that would be the right word, that that this that the that the pitch that's there in nature, I was looking for a pitch that would be there in nature, is the sound of the foraging honeybee.
0: Hmm.
1: Which is at our if we're talking A440, it's sort of and, and it's a fuzzy pitch, which is absolutely fine when we're talking for metaphorical pitches. We can be a little low high. You have to almost hear it or imagine it. But it's at our modern B or B-flat.
0: Hmm.
1: And I sort of <laughs> suspect that there's a reason why we call that string B. Hmm. And the queen bees piping and uh, pipping. When in very few people have heard it today you can hear it online. so you know but usually it'd be only beekeepers and they'd be lucky to hear it.
2: Oh.
1: it when they're in their cells to get released, the, the, they do this beep, beep beep beep, beep, beep like that and, and they let the first one's let out and they listen for other queens that are coming out and the queens are pipping and they go there and then their idea is to kill them. but this tipping is is between uh i've heard as low as a and as high as c but that tends to be in the b range Mm. as well very much in that
0: along those lines it makes me think of saint bridget and the the bees and the creation of the harp
1: okay so you yes um and this reference is really is really late but i think the practice isn't so late Mm. but the references are from later and it's it's uh, in the, oh gosh, Sean Donnelly writes about it in, in Kill Magazine and and years ago he wrote about it. And it's, my story will put together two letters that he discovered. Hmm. So to make it, make it a story, I've put these two together and I call it the ceremony of the raising. Hmm. And those are words used in this. And it started when a harp maker makes a harp, it's finished and then sent to a harp player. In one letter, it says a blind harp player. And and it's for the ceremony of the raising. And this continues. Whatever is done, the harp is then ready to be played on St. Bridget's Day, you know, February 1st. And... My interest in, in bees has has me reading, you know, archae- the archaeology of bees, and I'm pretty well versed on, on bee tradition, not on actual beekeeping, but on on the traditions of it. And um, in Ireland, it was traditional when uh, on Saint Bridget's Day, which is also Imbolg, the first day of spring, of of Irish spring, uh, Gaelic spring, Imbolg, uh, beekeepers would put uh, torches around the hives and light them to tell bees that it's spring and time to get busy to work. Now we're operating on on our uh, Gregorian calendar and it used to be the Julian calendar. So we've changed what the dates are there, but the the concept would would remain, and uh, B is very big for for Bridget. Bridget is connected to a number of things. Her attributes are are, are quite big, uh, but um, it's interesting that Saint Gavyn's feast day is on the second, and her symbol. Is also bees. St. Govnet is known for keeping bees. And when uh, invaders came into her village, her bees attacked them and drove them away. And so her um her symbol is is a metal helmet with bees coming out of it. Hmm. So it's interesting that it's right there on the first and second, this bee connection. But this, this going back to the heart making, it's maybe a really good excuse for a harp maker who's laid on an order saying to the client, it can't come to you yet. It can't be released until it's done. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thinking that, that it really is. And and I've strung so many harps now for the first time, I've been really grateful for having that opportunity sort of be midwife as I think of it. But uh, you put the strings on the harp and really put the tension on, bring it up to tension. And the willow soundboard, it grows, it swells. And so it's like the harp maker puts the male part into the female part. That's, uh, gosh, here we go. Mortise and tenon joints. This is the construction of the medieval harps and and the construction of the harp of the St. Moog harp that's first depicted of this type of instrument, circa 1000. And already that instrument is developed with all all of the main features, including metal cheek bands. So it's an instrument that doesn't have just eight or nine strings. It's an instrument that has significant tension on its frame, even though it looks like a small lap harp.
2: Hmm.
1: So either that small lap harp had significant tension on it or they all also have larger harps than that one to deserve this building, the the construction, the robust form. But anyhow, the female, the, the sound box is the female part of the instrument and equates with uh, womb, belly, and there's a mortise which is, you know, musicians would know female and male plugs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the female plug is the mortise and and there's one at each end in the female part of the harp, and the the harps are made. Actually, uh, I, I digress. I don't need to go into f- full detail. And the four pillar is the male part of the instrument with the projection at each end,
0: mm.
1: and then the harmonic curve has a mortise here, the female part, and mm. a tenon projection at the neck so it has one of each so it's uh i don't know androgynous hermaphroditic it is uh, like our indo-european languages of she Mm. he and it or they yes yes yep and it's like and and with she he and and uh yeah yeah they neuter or feminine masculine neuter Mm. and it also equates with the three kinds of music which, no, I'm not saying that the only meaning is what I'm saying because the Irish language and mythology is full of uh, metaphor and symbolism and so that there are many meanings to an item. This is what connects the world, uh, the especially in an oral society. So these thoughts are, don't have to be one way. They are always, everything is interconnected, you know, like harmony of the spheres. Concept. Uh, back to Bridget. So, ceremony of the raising. Here yes. we go. <laughs> and uh, if the harp is, it comes up, the belly comes up when stringing harps really quite readily, and it does very well. And initially, I thought, how do we know when we'll stop giving? Maybe it'll just keep giving, giving, giving mm. until it breaks. And I wondered, do you need to string with heavier strings to bring the belly up? And then when it gets to where you want, you put on the right. I, I suppose that's possible, but it's worked very well hmm. with putting on and finishing uh, this, the stringing. This is the first harp I ever strung with precious metal strings. Hmm. The, uh, uh, first of all, I put the lower octave in, in uh, very hard-drawn sterling silver, and it worked. And it gave me the confidence to string. I used uh, red gold and also yellow gold. Uh, just 18 karat in wow. the base of this harp. And this is a copy of the Trinity harp, but it's not an exact copy. It's not, uh, uh, We I didn't have exact measurements. So the pins are just strung out on the natural form. I think the box is about half an inch too wide at the bottom, <laughs> totally. There's, there's some differences there, but you have to fill in the gaps here because on the original, in- Trinity this part is missing here mm. and and Armstrong makes a correction but he I think he overcorrects and makes it a little too much like the Queen Mary harp in his correction. Oh, All right. And so I I did my own correction. I, but um sorry Oh, I'm sorry yeah. that
0: you do have a Trinity harp that's completely colored in as well, don't you? Um because the original Trinity harp was completely painted and ornate.
1: Yes, my beautiful harp, that is it's sort of shaped like the Trinity harp, but that is my uh rendition of the St. Moog harp. Okay. Not an exact copy of it, but how a harp would be in that time. And it was an attempt to make a small harp that was deserved that needed a lot of tension. Mm. So on that instrument is much is a good deal smaller than the Queen Mary harp. And it is and uh it is strung entirely in gold, although I can string copies of Queen Mary entirely in gold in this one, but it's much smaller and, and I still can get the same range of double bass G and even a string below it, of double bass F or E, that's, that's on, on like on this harp, uh, and then uh, that's my double bass G
0: how how important is it to, or the do you hear a a big difference in from brass strings to silver to gold strings? Um,
1: a huge not a huge difference, but it's what they're asked to do mm. because to get if I put silver for this length, it wouldn't sound as good. Gotcha. The sound is good. it would have to be this long. In brass it' have to be this long. And essentially and and, and gold works well because, well, 24 karat gold is pure gold, and that doesn't draw hard.
2: Mm.
1: But I, I use anything from uh, 22, 20, 18 karat gold. You can use 14 karat gold, and, and, but you have to ask them to do the right job in the right circumstances. And so it, it's a very good question. I can, initially I had this harp strung with gold in the base, then an octave of, of silver, and I like this because male, hmm. sun gold, and silver, moon, female, and the the loud kids up here. The brassy- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have, but the old legends, uh, traditionally, the harp is strung in ua and which means copper, but it's assumed to be a copper alloy because pure copper won't, hard either just Mm. like pure gold indeed the same thing with silver you can't draw silver hard that's why you have to use a sterling silver but copper is the added alloy to all three Mm. and and copper tin which is tin rich is what is cast metal is is used for castings and it's you can't get commercial bronze strings unless it has phosphorus in it and that's it's a good music wire, but it's modern in a modern oh. edition. And so Ireland was rich in their calamine ore, which is copper with zinc oxide in it. Hmm. So they would have had red brass already at their disposal without having to do this sophisticated uh, method of—I'll hmm. show you, uh, cupulation. I'm not sure the pronunciation.
0: That's fascinating. So it was the willow, the willow tree. And then the the metals that were available, readily available, yes, um, to them. It, and
1: actually, it, it, it's very easy to to draw. You can use gold with silver added, and that can draw quite hard. Hmm. Or gold, silver, and with copper in it, and those were the th- like the three noblest metals. Hmm. And you wouldn't purposefully mix them with 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 others, um, and medieval silver always had like, you know, they couldn't get all it's I don't understand, but they couldn't get all of the gold out of the silver. And and the silver gen, silver generally has some gold in it, but you can get pure gold. Mm. And so I really think that there's no reason not to use not to use gold. It's 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 beautiful and works mm. well, especially on small low headed hearts. And oh yeah. And, uh, and I really think this is why they designed and designed the high headed harp because you, you needed longer string lengths and it needed a different construction because now with uh, now that they needed longer strings. So it meant way more curve in hmm. the neck. And that meant you'd have a broken neck unless you raise the four pillar to become the addition to the harmonic curve. Wow. And that's, really what what happened
2: can i can i ask you a question Ann? let me just interject here the kind of knowledge that you're talking about right now this is it's it's like a, almost like a harp archaeology to me so uh, how did you i want to turn this back almost to um you personally and how you over the 50 years that you've been involved in since you started out on this journey on the harp how did you how did you come by all this what what for most people would be pretty esoteric knowledge and it's not something that people found in generally in books so how did how did you come by all of this
1: there was only so much that could be learned from books and i was fascinated so i had to turn initially i turned to read uh, poetry and mythology anything having to do look at parallel traditions but I, I, I got roped in. Um, uh, I, I think you were going to ask me about my f- first trip to to Ireland and yes. what it was like.
0: and, and I, I do want to tie in like your your love of the harp and how you really wanted the the harp to kind of be brought back to Ireland. So you didn't want this to be something that was, kept in America or another country that it was so important to you. So why, why is that? Why was that so important to you?
1: Okay. Okay. My first trip to Ireland, I was very excited about, I, you know, I would played uh, the harp in, in Irish bars in this country. Uh, not, and, and within my first year, it was to Ireland and in where we went was to the talked to uh, stay with at the family home of the parents of people who had immigrated to Chicago and were friends. And Chak Natra, we stayed there, and they, they house on the Strand, Chak is house Natra, and we, we stayed there. And this is the outside of Karna, which is like the singing capital of, of Shano's singers in, in Connemara. And so it, there was... Uh, an old bar there, this old, rundown, yellow building was just great, and we would play traditional music, and and I would have the harp doing what I could, and and these sessions would go all night, and they'd turn into singing sessions, and I I was already into the Shannon singing from Nora Greilish McDonough, who had immigrated to Chicago, and she won All Ireland many times. So Shano's singing was always a big thing, but I wanted, I thought in Ireland, I thought Irish people are just going to hear the instrument and there's going to be some sort of ancestral memory, ancestral memory that just pops in, you know? Did that happen? (laughs) No, not really. I mean, they they found it curious and Hmm. had respect for it, but at the same time, people there were like, Okay, you're you're playing Irish music. What do you do to make a living?
0: <laughs> <laughs> were, did you run across a lot of harps when you were on your first
1: oh, no, trip? No, 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 none at all. And they had no word in Connemara for harp.
0: Hmm, wow.
1: No other than harp. They didn't use clarsach. They didn't use trit. There was no word for harp at all. What
0: was, it, what was it like traveling around Ireland playing in, in the sessions when you were the only harpist playing well, in sessions? We,
1: we stayed We stayed in Connemara. Oh, we did, okay. we stayed there uh, absorbing. Then Granard, who had held the harp festivals in 1781, 82, and perhaps 83, and, and, and Granard in County Longford, and they were holding the bicentenary, the 200th festival in 1981 and I wanted to go to me this was a wonderful historic occasion but I didn't believe in competing in music so I wasn't going to play and then our good friends Phil and Pam Bolding of Magical Strings in the Pacific Northwest they were going for the same reasons but Pam wanted to play and she played hammer dulcimer not the harp so she couldn't play at it so they asked Charlie and me to form a group because there was a group competition as part of not just solo harp and that way Pam could play. And, and so it was a, a conundrum, you know, because I had thou shalt not compete in music and thou shalt play with thy friends, you mm. know, <laughs> so, so, competing stuff. And, and then I realized when I think it's right, when I was there, I realized, oh my gosh, no one's going to hear the harp mm. really hear it, and it was my duty to play it because I was realizing people weren't playing it. So I decided to compete, and and the place where the original thing had been held was a derelict building then, and and so it was held in the in the school with with a stage sort of set into the far wall, you know, a deep stage and the room was packed. Mm. And there, the tuning happened in the hallway, out in the hallway, which was cold. Ugh. All of the nylon harpers were out there going, boing, boing, loudly, tuning their harps. And meanwhile, my metal strings, you know what metal does in cold. Sure. It cracks and goes sharp. So I did what I could, and then I come out to play on the stage. It's, the lights are on, everybody's, and, and there I was, my harp going immediately out of tune, yeah, and to play, and I wasn't used, I mean, I performed, but I was performing with a four-piece group. Sure. And that as a two-piece, and, and so actually I'd never had this happen, but my hands started shaking, and I started playing, it was out of tune, and I tried to deal with things, and then because I did compete with horses, but competing with horses wasn't the same thing, Because the man I worked for, he had been captain in the German cavalry in World War II. He wasn't about winning, this was for training the horse. Mm. So you'd go, it wasn't to beat somebody or get some award, earn money. It was for the training of the horse and doing the best you could in these uh, special circumstances. It was so it, it was different, but if you really were having trouble, and decided this isn't going well and it's time to bail, mm. you would ask the permission of the judge to leave the arena, mm. you know, and, and you know, basically. So I asked the permission and judging it was Maura Nakahasi and Charles Gard, a student, he played uh, lever harp, uh, and as the, uh, does Maura Nakahasi. Um, Charles doesn't play anymore, but he was uh, learning, playing the uh a metal-strung harp from Grania Yates, mm. but he hadn't been—he hadn't been playing it for quite some time at that at that time. And Grania had been the judge, but she had to leave for something, so it left the two of them. And so I said, "May I please be excused a <laughs> so part on a tune? May I please be <laughs> excused?" And they said, "No, you may not." <laughs>
0: So you had to finish playing the tune? (laughs)
1: Yes. And it was, I remember, it was a a really lovely version of, of, um, this is Three Sea Captains, a set dance with a, a, a really nice variation on it as well. But I stumbled through it. And then, oh gosh, I was so demoralized because I hadn't lived up to the harp. I'd let it down. You know, my role was to let people see what a wonderful instrument it was, but okay. It being a historic occasion. So I sent Charlie out to the car because you wouldn't want to record. It was not, you know, you wouldn't record the competition and people playing. Mm. so because that wasn't the right thing to do. And so he went out to get the recorder though, because we wanted to record announcing of the winners. So Charlie went out to the car to get the tape recorder and he couldn't get back in because the hall was filled. And and so he came uh, and and so I listened to the awards and they start, and first of all, it took a long time for the judging to come up. And then they said they sort of explained why they're judging, and and I was just humiliated and six, five, four, three, two, and they called my name. Wow. As and there were really good players there. Hmm. I mean, there was Janet. Harbison, Noreen Donahue, Philbo, all sorts of people, people I didn't know, good Anya Nagul, uh, really good people there. I, I was like, huh, oh, and on my way up, I go, this shouldn't be, this is wrong, I'm sorry, I'm sorry hmm. to fellow competitors, you know, what is this? Nothing, <laughs> <laughs> my award, and and then Charlie come, gets in the hall afterwards, and he goes, oh, who won? And I go, I did, and he hmm. goes, Oh no. <laughs> Later I learned to accept and, and really it was because what they had heard from me was the most inspiring.
0: Hmm.
1: Anyhow, that's how it worked out. So I competed the next year in order to uh to redeem hmm. to redeem myself is really what I did and I won that year.
0: Hmm. And, and then, then you went on to adjudicate after that?
1: Yes, and, and, and well I didn't play the third year because It was the beginning of a traveling trophy. And from horses, uh, I knew that if you won a a traveling trophy three times in a row, it would be retired. Mm. I was the first winner. This was the first year the trophy had been there. It was Father Gil uh, and And so I had it two years in a row, so I didn't compete the third year because I didn't want my name to be the only one on it. And so I went there, and people there, they... They gave me um, a cut glass uh, sort of prize just for showing up, hmm. and we had opportunity to go through Granard a couple years ago. I was doing concerts with Historical Harp Society of Ireland, and Siobhan and Simon were in the car, and we drove through on the way from Galway to Belfast uh, in, in the little concert tour. Uh, Simon suggested, "Oh, let's stop in Granard," and we did, and the the hall the traditional hall had been made into a lovely modern library hmm. but they'd done the upstairs as the old hall was in its grand style and they had the front stairway opened and and we they they allowed us to go up there we talked with the librarian there and outside the door at the top in the opening at the top of the stairway going into the hall they had my name oh and Heyman, and then the names of pieces I had composed wow. and put Harper's Land right there, painted the name in, in Irish, oh. you know, and I had Father Gilfillan's Cup, and then the Irish name, name for a land form, uh, 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 Grania, and da-da-da. So isn't that something?
0: That's amazing. So through your study, um, and then through just... Speaking to people about folklore and legends, and I mean, even the the way the harp has the male and female, and and all that history that you um, are so passionate about, and bringing back to Ireland to give back to to the harpists.
1: Well, uh, yes, and back to Ireland. That's why uh, Siobhan Armstrong it was one day. She I received a letter, and she and, and Shavon says. I remember hearing you as a, a, a wee girl at, at Granard and it's come, I, you know, I play, I play the uh, early gut-strung harp. I, I'm para, really paraphrasing loosely here, but I think I should be playing the instrument of my country. Hmm. And my husband thinks that, and and I thought of you and he said, well, then you have to go visit her. So she came and, visited, and she came on two occasions, and uh, just an absolute whiz. Hmm. I wish I'd had more to teach her than I did then, but I taught her what I could, and, and uh, you know, it was, I, I gave her harp boot camp here, and from, from my point of view, but I was after Siobhan to start a harp society in Ireland, because I didn't want to do it here. You know, I thought about how to build up the harp, but if if I did it here, it would never belong to Ireland. Mm. You know what I mean? It would be a foreign thing, and it had to be homegrown. Mm. And, and I sort of felt the same thing about Scotland. Scotland had, had both harps historically. The, the Lowland harp, a gut-strung instrument uh, with with braise, and then, and then the metal-strung harp, which is the Irish harp, and it was the, the Highland, the Gaelic culture, which was just back here. Staying at the at the house at the Earl, Earl of Antrim's estate, looked out at the master bedroom on the second floor, and there's a window, and you could see right across to the Mull of Kintyre. Mm. Well enough, it's only, you know, I don't know, I'll say 12 miles. You could see the sheep on the mountains, the white of the sheep mm. on a clear day. And it was an easy boat trip, mm. you
0: know? Right. Well, yeah, there is so much um, sharing from Northern Ireland to to Scotland and back and forth of the music of the the instruments. Um, yes,
1: well, especially in in the medieval period, and especially in the in the old Irish period, uh, when when uh, troubles came and separation of churches and things, it wasn't as lovely a, a thing. But the educated in of which the harp was an education it was a high art form and the syllabic poetry uh scholars can't tell the difference between that which is composed in ireland or in scotland except if they know the name of the the composer and they can tell or a place name if there's something identifying in other words it was a unified tradition even though you know you have tons of dialects going around you know anywhere
0: oh absolutely um, so I think Kathy has a question. Yes, Kathy.
2: Uh, so, Anne, all your lore with the harp and taking up this wire-strung harp, you, you had to, how, how did you develop, how did you know how to play it? How did you know how, how you have a very... You bring to the harp that whole thing with the damping as you're playing and this whole other unique style. How did you figure out how to, use, how to do that? I, I mean, it's not like somebody sat down and showed you. And if I look at a piece of paper with the tablature, like is in some of those, like the, the Robin Apphew manuscript, I mean, it looks like Greek to me. So how, how did you how did you figure it out? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I started with Bunting.
1: And I started with having uh, a musical ear that you know that had had typical typical training, but I knew to play on the left shoulder. Hmm. Yes, and I knew Bunting talked about dot da- damping and stopping the strings. And so initially, the the learning was was very basic. And I have to say that I just heard other harp music and perceived of music as what I call a right-handed player. And, and it really, I had a breakthrough when, uh, midway th- through all of this, I started investigating Kilmore, which yeah, on, when played on the pipes is called Pibroch, And I started investigating that and knew the difference between the instruments and knew that the harp predated uh, the, a Scottish bagpipe I knew that bunting had collected terminologies from the harpers that were synonymous or archaic ones from the Scottish uh, pibroch tradition and so I started investigating it and first off I thought man I'm not going to just play drone a drone the same drone with my bass hand and I have I have more notes and I'm going to I can go down and play a drone plus I can play these main melody notes. And Peabrook has main important melody notes. They're the stress melody notes. And then and then uh, they have little notes put in, yes? And so that's how I started using my upper hand. And Peabrook is a different music form. Most of our music that we have today is very colored by piano music and piano arrangement and piano style. And melody in the, in the treble hand compliment in the bass hand yes and, and it goes that way what would piano music have developed like if if you started with the in the extreme right with the lowest bass mm. proceeding to the highest treble in the left mm. or what on small pianos if you didn't start with the highest notes at the end in the bass in here or high together and bass here the layout of the instrument and how the body works and how we Design music does depend on the instrument, but I started playing like a left-handed harp player, Mm. and when I found, when I started messing around with Peabrook, that is when I found the concept of coupled hands, Mm. so that, and And so that, and it was like magic.
0: When you're playing the coupled hands, you're sharing the melody between your hands. If it's sharing and and crossing hands almost um, and sharing the melody, you can do so much more um, intricate or different ornaments with that technique.
1: Well, yes, yes. Um, And the thing is, is that even our right hand, is actually constructed. It's to be stronger. It's it's built differently here to be stronger, and and this hand isn't as strong, but it is actually more facile, more dexterous.
0: Hmm.
1: Even left-handed people find this hand stronger, in, and there are different types of left-handed people. But we have various jobs where we share and do equally. Yes, but when you think of instruments with lyres. Uh, you're striking. You're doing your striking motion here, and doing your 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 damping. Uh, on on bowed instruments, you're doing your main doom boom. And meanwhile, mm. this hand is doing. It's the perfect accompaniment. It is like if you don't play those instruments, if you've sewn on a button, it's like your 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 right hand, if you're right-handed, is the hand that's pushing in the needle, and meanwhile the left hand is doing the perfect supporting role perfect supporting role even though it's in danger of getting pricked that's one of my jokes <laughs> <laughs> this is the male hand this is the female hand <laughs>
0: <laughs> putting the harp on your left shoulder as opposed to the right shoulder um so you you feel that the the importance i mean is it related to the bow and arrow is it um because that's i mean a Many people feel that, um, like a hunter-gatherer society, um, have the bow and arrow, and then that developed into the harp. But um, that has no influence on on your choice to play the harp on your with your on your left shoulder instead of what your.
1: My choice is because that's what they did, mm-hmm. and because I had a... Trad- I, I, I studied dressage, and in horses, and had a great respect for tradition, mm-hmm. and I understood there were reasons for doing things a certain way that we might not be able to speculate on. And so I thought, okay, well, they played on the left shoulder. I'll do it that way. And people have said, well, um, you could you could put the strings in on the other hand. Yeah. And you could put the drive end here, mm. have the strings come out this way and have the right hand. I mean, obviously, uh, metal strings are shorter up here than then the equivalent note for gut, you don't go as short here. Hmm. So you have to go under a relatively thick neck because it needs to be robust. Sure. So it's not so acceptable for this hand. But if you wanted it acceptable for the right hand, just put the pins in the other direction. And it would be a right hand made as a right-handed harp.
0: Hmm.
1: And and, uh, that's one of the mistakes that Egan made. He made his harps right-handed. But... Um, and, and you wouldn't hold the harp this high. It's between my knees, and that's improper for this harp. Most a lot of people hold their harps too high. But going back to on the on the handedness, so I knew I knew they did it, and I think that there is a connection with the tension of the metal strings. You can you can tune here, but you have to push in, and you use the supporting hand because you need strength, and you can only move it this much on gutter nylon strings, you can give it a mm. good turn. And on here, if you gave a string that kind of turn, you'd break it. Mm. And so part of my investigation is to explore the parallel traditions, an investigation of the of the voice of the harp. Mm. And so that I, I I did get into the uh, Robert Aphew manuscript and I had the great thrill of discovering for myself what the what the tablature meant because of the key page and, and I recognized the triangle notation and stems up and down, which actually this is, this is now now how I, how I see it, that the direction of the stems and these triangular notes designated whether it was the thumb, second, third or fourth finger played of the treble hand and because of the name of the technique and you could distinguish what was meant for it. So it was really thrilling, and I'm really proud that I gave Bill Taylor, William Taylor, his first APU lessons uh, at, at the Amherst Early Music Festival for the Historical Harp Conference there. He later really has done wonderful recordings, uh, working with, with Bob Evans, and and I think really good recordings, but in my process of understanding left-handed playing the last eight years or so I've been getting more and more this way and it's coupled hands evolved into all alternating hands
2: Mm. a little
1: more Burns March style they're still used but it is the basics of 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 the bass hand playing major melody notes on the bass Mm. in an unpublished manuscript writing Edward Bunting describes he's calling Gunn, uh, uh, a music writer from Scotland, uh, who says, oh, they played on the left shoulder so the harps, Harper's voice could, that the four pillar of the harp wouldn't impede their voice. Their hmm. voice could project beyond it. And that's obvious hooey, but <laughs> bumping saw it as such, and as obvious hooey, and, and he goes, no, that's not why they played on the left shoulder they play it on their left shoulder. Now this isn't why they played on their left shoulder, but his observation is inclusive. It's not just about Dennis O'Hamsey. it's playing on the left shoulder and they all did play on their left shoulder so that the right hand being the strongest
0: Hmm.
1: could play the major melody notes in in the sonorous range so they could be heard and the left hand provided the symphonal parts
0: hmm.
1: and so the, the the treble hand provides the anacrusis or the pickup that is how how my playing is going and although i've played up it, it, this is a problem with all of the interpretations of the robert appu manuscript is that this is also a left hand tradition hmm. And the re- it didn't, it, these traditions developed before piano-centric things. If someone was left-handed, they would simply play in the style that developed from the majority of people, just the way you can play like a light, right-handed player by manning up and doing it with your left hand. But it's a lot to expect the melody hand to play the strong beat and immediately go into an ornament, mm. and to pay, play the passing notes. And by sharing, you get really wonderful ways of playing ornaments and, and bunting waxes about the ornaments of all the Harpers, mm. especially ohampsy but all of them. And Simon Chadwick found a, a dictionary entry on, on music. I'm not thinking of the date right now. It's, it's late, but the writer of this writes on, on harp, all these different music things, but on harp and does this little thing on Irish harp. And he says a a gentleman who would certainly know said that he heard Carolyn perform on a, on a number of occasions. And that Carolyn played no bass. No, there are bass strings on the harp. What did he mean by no bass? and, so it isn't like the absence of bass, but it's the absence of the base that this man considered was a bass. Mm. So there's these different things that come about. but now in working with I've worked with App and I've done some I've only released one one piece but've I've worked with not only gothic Bray harps but uh, horsehair strung harps, which I think are are the, uh, I work from a manuscript Winchcombe Psalter uh, depiction of a harp, which is, is like a diagram. It's so well drawn, and I use the number of four for the com- circumference of the neck to get the instrument, and it worked beautifully. The diagram showed twelve strings. I put on twenty-four. Twenty-four is an, and is a big number. Four is a big number. Uh, horses are measured in hands which is four inches all of this came about the the, and and with using this measurement the shortest string was eight inches the longest string is 32 inches so each string was an inch longer
0: Hmm.
1: and and i could use on the longest one that the hair from from a horse's tail premiered it and and uh uh, Brecon Cathedral, which was the center of medieval Wales. This was quite an adventure and helped me understand so I'd worked with it, but like everybody, the Appu manuscript, they have the bass and the treble here and you knew that the treble is two notes, so the argument was, do you play the first note and then together, or do you play together and then this note?
0: Hmm.
1: And I thought you need to know the idiom, it doesn't and and so in the pieces you need to decide and make a decision, but they decided music sings differently like a first note would appear and it could be a pickup note and then in and and if you divide it so it's uh in was kanyad sanson which is an easy one for me to sort of sing for you it'd be treble hand going drum bass hand going mba, treble going dum, drum bass da bass now i'm singing it but it'd be <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing and da dum bass da dum da bass da dum instead of instead of da dum or drum dum da dum da dum da dum and a lot of them need alternate. I'm not saying they always alternate, but there is a good deal of alternation this way. And by interpreting this way, it ends up that the bass hand is playing the melody and the treble hand carries it on with the passing notes. Mm. It's, it's the same thing.
0: Let's give a listen to Kinead's son Flynn off of Anne's album, Harp of Gold.
1: to connect these two and dampening as well Oh yeah so to have the link between them because otherwise it was just cord cord mm. cord which is really opposite to the the Irish way and now I've been able to link in the connection so I'm really yeah. excited about that I need to redo them all <laughs> that, I, that I've worked on and, and wow.
0: well that's exciting because now you you like you it said is. earlier in the interview that you now yeah. have the time to to do that Join me next week for part two of my interview with Anne Heyman. Thank you for listening. Have you always wanted to learn how to play the harp, but have no idea where to start? I've been wanting to put together a course that would inspire lovers of the harp just starting on their journey. The Your Harp Adventure series starts this June 7th with an introduction to the lever harp. I walk you through the basics of getting comfortable with your instrument, making music and reading music as well. You'll have access to a live Facebook group once a week where you can ask questions and meet up with other harp players, just starting on their musical journey. I know there's so much information out there, and because of that, I want you to feel the progress that you will be making the video lessons are no more than 10 minutes each, giving you bite-sized chunks of information that won't be overwhelming. Plus, you can re-watch any of the videos and learn in your own time. Plus, you'll have access to a community of learners from around the world cheering you on, with me included, all for $59 US, and that includes PDFs of music and guides and templates for inspiration inspiration and practicing and more. So again, launches on Monday, June 7th. For more information, head on over to com slash lessons. Thanks for listening to Moon Over the Trees Music and Theatre Productions podcast. Dive into the show notes at com and if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast.